Welcome to the Ideas Exchange by ASX, connecting you with market experts, investment updates, and ideas. I'm Helen Chong, National Business Development Manager at ASX, and this is our monthly podcast covering everything from investment trends through to different ways to invest using a variety of products. For my very first episode, I had the pleasure of chatting with Dr. Shane Oliver. Shane is the Chief Economist and Head of Investment Strategy at AMP, but really a man who needs no introduction. And a bit about me, I actually started my career in the industry at AMP Capital, and I got to see a glimpse of Shane in action. He really has a brilliant way of simplifying the complex. For those who are unfamiliar, Shane is one of the most prominent economists in our country. He is a well-respected voice as a regular media commentator on economic and market issues. Shane is often quoted in the news, and you may even subscribe to his Oliver's Insights, where he shares his market views. In this episode, we chatted about the latest headlines and what it means to our economy, covering hot topics from inflation, where he sees interest rates going, to his views on all things crypto and climate change. Despite a really shaky start to the year, Shane shares how he turns down to noise to stay focused as an investor. Keep listening to find out why it's not all doom and gloom and what investors should look out for this year. Let's get into it. A quick note about this podcast. Information is provided for educational purposes only and is not intended to include or constitute financial product advice. You should obtain independent advice from an Australian Financial Services licensee before making any investment decisions. Please refer to ASX's full disclaimer with respect to this podcast on the section of the ASX website titled The Ideas Exchange by ASX. Hi Shane, you're celebrating 38 years of service this year at AMP. Congratulations and welcome. It's great to have you join us. Thank you, Helen. It's great to be here. So let's get straight into it. Let's start with your views. Um, I want to get your take on some recent events that have dominated headlines uh, over the last year and well into the start of this year. Seven things that we've been uh, reading about. So the first one is, of course, coronavirus. As you know, two years on from the start of COVID, we're still living in the midst of the pandemic. How do you think this will impact us locally and globally? Well, it's having a huge ongoing impact, but I sort of, I'm, I'm a bit of an optimist, and I reckon that every time we have a new wave, it seems to have less economic impact than the previous wave. And I know that Omicron came uh, like a storm blowing in very quickly. Uh, lots of people got it. I didn't know people directly in previous waves who got it, Brian. So I know lots of people now who've got Omicron, also my neighbors family members and so on. And that's a big disruption and obviously been a factor uh, impacting the volatility in share markets just over the last month. But by the same token, there is some reason for optimism. If you're a double vaccinated person compared to an unvaccinated person, you're about one ninth as likely to end up in hospital. Put it the other way around. If you're unvaccinated, you're about nine times likely to end up in hospital in New South Wales. You're about 15 times more likely than a vaccinated person to end up in ICU. And likewise, um, in regards to you dying. So the vaccines are providing protection against serious illness, not necessarily against getting it. Obviously, when you get a booster shot, then that helps even more. That gives me optimism. There's new treatments on the way for coronavirus. None of these things are perfect, but this is a very different situation compared to two years ago. New treatments, 
Pfizer, Merck, various others. Uh, I think even AstraZeneca has got one. Um, so those things are on the way. More importantly, look, I'm not, not an epidemiologist and epidemiologists seem to have all sorts of opinions here, much like economists do. You know, they, didn't have, they didn't have a perfect crystal ball. Some are very gloomy, but some are saying, well, if it's now starting to evolve in a way that is less harmful but more transmissible, as Omicron is, then that could be a positive thing because it would come to dominate the more harmful variants and we're on our way, all of those three things together, vaccines, treatments, and less harmful coronavirus. We're on our way to coronavirus becoming endemic, learning to live with it. And that seems to be what's starting to happen. Obviously, we don't like people not being able to go to work, but it seems like people still want to get out there and do things. But that not being able to go to work thing has caused disruption in supermarkets and elsewhere. That's affected the share market to some degree, but I reckon that's going to be pretty temporary. And I'm actually starting to feel more optimistic about uh, coronavirus now, starting to, to loosen its grip, thanks mainly to, uh, to modern science and health. Yeah, and I think this uh, definitely is a wait, wait and see. Now, I just wanted to turn our minds to the volatility in markets. January uh, in, in the last month, typically January is a quiet month for markets. Uh, most of our industry, as you know, Shane, uh, on break, they're enjoying summer by the beach. But we've had a really rough start this year to the start of 2022. And we saw a lot of the fund managers rushing back to their trading screens. The last time we saw this level of volatility, I think was in 2016. So what's going on? It's in January of 2016. Yeah, it had a rough start to the year. Turned out that was at the tail end of falls that started back in 2015, but they continued into January 2016. So firstly, it tells us sometimes you do have a volatile January. It's not always smooth sailing. And the volatility could come because the market is thin, but you get some bad news and then that enables the market to fall uh, sharply, which is what we've seen. Yeah, we have quite seen quite sharp falls, biggest falls since uh, back in 2020. Last year was pretty benign. The biggest fall in the Aussie share market in 2021 was 6%. And I'm talking about a drawdown here. The broad trend was up, great returns, but the biggest drawdown through the course of the year, which I think was August, September, was down 6%. Now, there's a few things to bear in mind. After calm years, called mean reversion, you get volatile years. Last year was pretty calm. Biggest fall was 6%. Biggest fall in the US was 5%. Typically, after a calm year, you get a volatile year. So we're seeing that. We had seen a big run-up from the lows back in 2020. So markets have become a little bit more vulnerable. They're not as cheap as they once were. The easy gains are behind us. We heard all of that. There was a bit of froth around cryptos, cryptomania, meme stocks, SPACs, you know, sometimes we get a bit of froth around. That's that's a bit of a negative sign. Um, and sentiment to come generally quite bullish. Then, of course, you got the high inflation numbers coming out of the US. You got the Fed turning more hawkish. Other central banks doing the same. We got some strong jobs numbers in Australia, which brings forward the possibility of rate hikes in Australia. And before you know it, markets are seeing big falls. And of course, uh, on top of all of that, Omicron was causing volatility. Uh, so you've got weaker data coming through or mixed data coming through in some countries, uh, worries that it's going to disrupt things. Then you've got talk of higher interest rates at the same time, not a good combination. And of course, uh, tensions on the Ukraine border and risk high risk around uh, Ukraine and Russia. So all of those things have impacted markets, which is not good. It's not a great start to the year. I would say, I'd mean, like to say seven things in response to all this, and I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure I'm going to forget some of them. Trying to time markets is really, really hard. You know, some people put the effort in and they can have a good stab at it. Fair enough. They love doing that and that's what they do. Well and good. 
But it is a really hard thing for most of us to try and time the market. So I just think it's it's important for people to put it in context, understand that corrections are quite normal. Last year was calm. I know 2020 was rough, but just think about the previous years. We regularly had corrections. Um, you mentioned 2016 there. That was uh, the Aussie market when it bottomed out in 2016 and fallen 20% from its high. The US market was a bit less than that. Uh, 2018, the trade war year, you know, the US share market had a 19, 20% correction. Oftentimes, it's quite normal to have corrections of the order of 5 to 15%. So it's quite normal. It's the way the market works. You need, I think, it's very important for people to understand that shares will give you fantastic returns over the long term because they're levered or they benefit from growth in the economy. So you get the income yield, from the companies, the dividends, which are franked up in Australia to give you something even higher than just the raw dividend, then you get capital growth levered to what the economy is doing. And that gives you better returns than most other asset classes. Although, of course, if you have property, you might end up with a similar return over a long period. So that gives you great returns. But the price you pay for those higher returns is volatility in the short term, 5%, 7%. Uh, as we're speaking, the Aussie market's down about 6 or 7% from its high. You get, get, you get this volatility. That's the price you pay for those high returns over the long term. If you didn't get that volatility, then it would be like a free lunch. There's no such thing as free lunch, but your rate of return would be a lot less. You might as well have your money in the bank. So I think you have to be aware of the way markets uh, work, the way you get the volatility. I think investors also need to be conscious that when they sell, after the market is falling, you're selling at a loss. You've locked in a decline in the value of your investment relative to where it was say, on January the 1st. Um, So you've locked in a bit of a loss. Also be aware that sentiment changes around. That has a huge impact. The end of last year, people were getting really optimistic again. Now they're they're starting to feel more pessimistic. I look at sentiment surveys in relation to the US, they're back into negative territory. That's sometimes a good sign in the sense that markets then are starting to get uh, cheaper because everyone's selling. And it's usually when everyone's selling that markets ultimately make a bottom. So beware don't get sucked in by the crowd. Just because everyone around you is telling you that to sell, it's usually when everyone's sold that markets make a bottom. So just bear that in mind. The other thing to note, I think in relation to all of this, is that even though the share market will give you volatility, the Aussie share market is paying you around a 4%, 4.5% dividend yield. When you add in the franking credits, it's actually quite attractive. Where, where were you going to go? You're going to put your money in the, the bank account and get 0.2% on a term deposit. So yes, I know it's scary when we go through these things, but you are getting a better yield. You know, the companies are still paying those dividends, even though the volatility occurs in the value of your investment, you're still getting those dividends. And if you want to get really technical about it, the earnings yield on the share market is still well above the bond yield, which is quite low. So you are still getting paid to be in shares in that sense, even though you get that short-term volatility. So I don't know whether I've covered seven points there, but I think that covers the main set of them. But the only other thing I would say, which is usually number seven, is turn down the noise. You know, a lot of investors get sucked into this. They see the nightly news. Oh, gee, the share market's down again. It seems to be going down more than it ever goes up. Statistically, the Aussie share market only rises just more than 50% of the time on a daily basis. It's a little bit more than 50%, but not much. It's almost 50-50 as to when you turn on the news, you'll get a positive reading on what the share market did or a negative reading. These days, you might just turn on your phone to look. 50-50. But if you go out one month, it sort of pushes up. You go out to one year, it's something like 80%. You go out to decades and it's sort of like 100%. So the longer you look or the, the less you look at the share market, the more you turn the, new, the noise down, um, the more you're going to get better news out of the share market. So Shane, one of your most famous sayings over the years is to turn down the noise. And you know we've been living in uncertainty for quite a few years now, especially from the impacts of COVID 
So how do you stay focused as an investor after hearing a list of the, all the lists that, you know, investors would be worried about at this point? Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's often the case that there's a big worry list and there's an old saying, share markets climb a wall of worry. I mean, they did last year. There was a lot of worries around last year and the share market did pretty well. But I think I've had the benefit of lots of other investors and they've all influenced me. I mean, Warren Buffett's had a huge impact, the whole concept of value investing, putting your money in, not knowing what's going to happen in the short term, as he did at the time of the GFC, but knowing it will do well over the long term. Uh, obviously, Benjamin Graham influenced Buffett, so he, he's a big influence as well. In Australian context, you know, one of the guys who influenced me the most is an economist called Dr. Don Stammer. And he's been saying for decades now, and he was uh, chief economist at the time I started my career at Bain and Company and then Deutsche. And of course, he's still around writing a column, a newspaper, regular newspaper column. But he, he had a favorite saying of mine, which is uh, make the most of the magic of compound interest. That's where you grow your wealth via the share market. It comes from the magic of compounding, reinvesting your money over time. You've got a favorite little chart here. If you invest $1 in 1900 and put it in cash, today you'd have about $240. This was back in 2020. So it's in the midst of the uh, pandemic uh, setback. You put the money in bonds, you'd have just over $1,000. So that's fantastic. So the money's compounded from $1 to those bigger numbers. If you put the money in the share market, you'd be pushing towards 600000 That's because of the compounding of dividends being reinvested in the market, that capital growth, and the money builds on itself through time. But he also says, don't get blown off by the cycle. So the key is not to get blown off by the cycle. When the market goes down, people think the sky is falling, better sell. And then they don't get back in until it makes a new record high again. So they lock in a loss, and then they don't feel comfortable to get back in until the market's back up again. So to me, that's critical. Make the most of the magic of compound interest. Don't get blown off by the cycle. How do you avoid doing that? Basically, turn down the noise and stay focused. I reckon there's a bunch of things. Put the latest worry in context. Look back through the history of the share market. Realize that it was adversely affected by Spanish flu over 100 years ago, World War I, World War II, the Great Depression. The list goes on and on and on. Vietnam War, stagflation in the 1970s, Watergate, so on and so forth. 87 share market crash. I was at work one day and the share market fell 25%. 25%, would you believe it? And uh, lots of other things pandemic, GFC, and so on. So these things happen. You don't like them, but they happen. But the broad trend in the market is up and it provides fantastic returns. Understand how markets work. Yeah, the share market will give you great returns over a 20-year period, over a 10-year period most of the time, virtually all the time. But year to year, it can be very volatile. And so that's something I mentioned earlier. Yeah, the, the great long-term returns you get out of shares, the price you pay for that volatility in the short term. Try and find a way to filter the news. Yeah, social media has gone bonkers. Like I've got news on my phone. I used to have to wait for the next day when I got the newspaper or turn on the nightly news on the TV. Now it's instantaneous and you feel I've got to respond to that, but you don't have to respond to that. Try and filter that. Watch old reruns of the Brady Bunch if you're from my generation or the Gilmore Girls or something or other. Um, there's lots of fantastic stuff on streaming services. Watch that rather than get obsessed with what's going on in markets and the negative news we're seeing. Don't check your investment so much. It's about 50-50 as to whether the market will be up or down on a given day. Yeah, best to wait. Check out it once a month or check it once a year. Yeah, try and focus on the long term. Have a well-diversified portfolio, but don't check it as much. So you're not going to get blown off by those short-term moves. And finally, look for the opportunities. When the market goes down, think of what Warren Buffett might be thinking. Is this an opportunity? Shares the day are cheaper than they were a few days ago sort of thing or a month ago. That's a far better way of looking at it. So they're the things that I try and do to stay focused and also recognize, be humble realize that no matter how much you say, you won't necessarily be fantastic at timing the market. 
you want to put a lot of effort in, uh, yeah, you're going to devote 24-7 or whatever it is, eight days a week to try to time the market. Even then, you're going to have struggle at times. People say, oh, there's going to be a crash. There's going to be a massive boom, whatever. A lot of the time, people get this wrong. Sometimes they get lucky, but a lot of the time, they just get that wrong. Try and avoid thinking you're going to perfectly time the market and focus on the long term. Yeah, if you want to put the effort in, it's a great thing to do. Pick stocks and what have you, it's a great thing to do, but just approach it with a degree of humility. Uh, first of all, it's great to speak to fellow fan of Gilmore Girls. Um, and that's also kind of comfort show that I turn to in times of need. Oh, that's good. I've watched it a few times myself. <laughs> oh, you have? I have. I don't do, I'm not just glued to old reruns of the Brady Bunch. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a bit of versatility as well. So whilst you're not checking your phone as much, you're turning to other screens. I think what you've just said about being humble is very important and staying level-headed and just understanding how markets work. And I think how you've explained it hopefully will resonate with some of our listeners as well when you're thinking about your own portfolios. We are constantly bombarded by a lot of noise and that's in the sense of the 24-hour news cycle. And there's just so many sources that you can turn to when it comes to getting information about investing. So I think uh, this is definitely something to think about when you're analyzing, you know, thinking about your own investments and, you know, just trying to stay focused and put things in perspective. So I think um, what would be helpful is uh, what were you just said about the compound interest that is fascinating. And I think it is something that has been tried and true for, for a very long time. And I think it might be helpful to turn to the Aussie share market recently, um, just what we've been reading about in the news. So first of all, we've got news coming from BHP looking to delist from the London market to a solo listing on the Australian exchange. And so now for most of us, uh, we probably also own BHP without knowing mm. that you own BHP and that's through your superannuation fund. Um, so Shane, what's your take on that and how would that change as per Australian share market? That's a good thing. BHP is a great company, has a massive history. It's versions of it have been in the Australian share market almost since the beginning of the Australian share market. So that structure it had was, uh, I think, suitable for the merger with Billiton 20 years ago, but it, it's gone by its use by date. So I think it makes sense to delist from the UK and just focus on Australia. Now, what it will mean is that the weighting of BHP in the market will go up. That's my understanding of it. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. We've seen these things come and go before. And News Corp used to be here and everyone says, oh, gee, it's going away. It's going to be in the US, but it still has an impact on our market. I think these resource companies have evolved in a way that's pretty positive over the years. They've had their swings up and down, but I wouldn't be too fast if the market gets a little bit more dominated by resources stocks. Um, on the one hand, you can say, well, yeah, coal might face a more difficult future with climate change, um, but I reckon the demand for steel and iron ore will remain as strong as ever. And also mining companies like the BHPs of the world with exposure to metals are going to do very, very well. We all know the story there. If we're transitioning to a cleaner world, that probably means electric cars and electric cars use some multiple of the number of metals. Uh, amount of metals like copper and aluminium and so on that a regular internal combustion engine car would. So that demand there, I think, is going to be very strong for a long time to come. So I, I don't think Australia should be fearful of BHP's weight going up. I think it's actually a good thing. Um, and to have a company more focused on one share market rather than having the split between two is also a good thing. Yeah. And certainly we'll be waiting and watching to see that play out. Shane, as you know, that technology shares have taken a hit in last month. So what do you make of the news of Afterpay's acquisition by shares? Look, I, I think it's disappointing 
to be honest with you, when Australian tech companies end up being taken over by foreign tech companies. I mean, it shows that they've come up with something good, but then it also takes them out of the Australian share market invariably. So that's not such a good thing. But by the same token, if you look at a big picture sense, there's usually lots of other companies that come along behind. So I don't think we should be overly concerned about that. I think we should allow that the pandemic was actually good for tech stocks because we were stuck at home using technology. Um, And so they were seen as pandemic winners. Uh, and then now we're going into a world where people are coming out from under the doona a little bit more, <laughs> two steps out and one step back, but of course, generally getting out there a little bit more, eventually going on overseas holidays again and doing more of the things they used to do, even though things, some things will be permanently changed. And it stands to reason that some of the pandemic winners will become laggards. And then, of course, those tech stocks were also a beneficiary of low interest rates because tech stocks tend to be, well, they tend to be high PE stocks or long duration stocks. It takes years for the full payoff to occur and low interest rates and low bond yields benefits those sorts of investments. So that's also weighing on the tech stocks and we're seeing that impact the US. I think the tech NASDAQ uh, has fallen by almost but not quite double the fall that uh, the broader US share market had. So that's a feature here. It happens every so often. One sector has a huge run and then it has a bit of a correction relative to the broader market. And that, I think, is what we're seeing in tech stocks at present. They'd had a good run. Now we're coming out from under the doona and uh, interest rates are starting to rise. And of course, that's taking away some of the tailwind for the tech stocks and making it a bit harder for them. But other parts of the market will take over. The more cyclical parts, I think, will be more yeah, will be bigger beneficiaries. I mean, how many times have we seen the travel stocks pick up only to fall again once the borders are closed or there's disruptions? But I reckon at some point that will pay off and the travel stocks will be on a bit of a screamer as things things start to return. So it's not the end of the world, it's just the way the market works. You know, it goes through swings and roundabouts, not just in terms of the broad cycle of the market, but also beneath the surface. You go through phases where one sector outperforms for a while and it has a bit of a pullback in a relative sense. And Shane, speaking of coming out of the doona, I think there is certainly something that's been top of mind for many investors, and that's the cryptomania that you spoke to uh, earlier. Now, cryptocurrency, blockchain technology, what's your view on that? Do you see potential in crypto and in blockchain? I'd be very interested to hear your view. To be honest with you, I think there's huge potential in blockchain and distributed ledger technology and all that sort of stuff. And it's tied up with many of the cryptos. Ethereum is probably the one most tied up, but also some of the others, uh, because people will end up using their blockchain. Uh, I think about a year ago, the Reserve Bank of Australia was looking at a digital currency for commercial transactions or institutional digital currency. And I think they were talking about using the Ethereum blockchain. So there is potential there. The problem is that it's all tangled up with the cryptomania and it's very hard. You know, with a lot of these things, there's often a grain of truth. You think about the tech boom of the late 90s. Um, there was a huge grain of truth there. A lot of the things that were said I would be able to do on my phone um, and what we're doing right now was predicted back then and it's happened. It's been a huge benefit to everybody. I mean, social media is a bit of a distraction, but, but most generally speaking, it's been a huge benefit. You, know, you don't have to go to the video store anymore. You've got a world of stuff to watch at home, but you can also work from home. So huge productivity benefits from that. So, But it got ahead of itself. And I think with crypto, it's hard to work out the full fundamental benefit of it. I think there's a lot of hot air there. I can't see many of the cryptos ever become transactional currencies because they're too slow. They're too expensive to transact in. They're too volatile. Uh, When you look at them now, the bulk of the activity, transactional activity in those currencies, not with merchants buying and selling things because they don't really work that well. 
It's actually with either speculation or illicit activity. I don't know if you've ever get ransomware. They send out these things for everyone these days, trying to get some money from you. And guess where you've got to make the payment? takes the bait. <laughs> yeah. You know, you've got to avoid taking the bait, but it's, it's uh, they're trying to see who takes the bait. But the means of payment is often Bitcoin or something similar. So that, I think, is, is a big negative for them. And, and at some point, governments will respond to this with more regulation. So I would be a little bit cautious about it. I think there is value in there with the blockchain, what they call these things, non-bungible tokens, but it's also tangled up with the crypto obsession. You sort of wonder whether people are actually buying the digital art in the NFTs um, because they're betting that it will benefit from the ongoing boom in crypto. And what happens if the crypto boom goes away, maybe all the, a lot of the interest in digital art might start to fade. So there's all sorts of convoluted issues going on in there. And the problem is that if it's not going to be, if it's not going to be a digital currency, there's almost 10,000 cryptos at the moment. Very hard to work out which one will work and which one won't. So that's another challenge for investors. But if it's not going to be a digital currency, trying to place a value on it is really hard. If I buy a share, I can sort of work out, you know, some means to put a valuation on it. it. It hopefully will generate earnings over time by providing a service or a good, and I can work out what that means in economic terms, apply some sort of valuation tool to it, much as I can with a house, which generates rents because they all provide services. Whereas with a lot of these cryptos, they don't do that. They're just a means of speculating. And there, all you've got to figure out is if I buy it now, will I be able to offload it to someone else down the track at a higher price? And that becomes very iffy. So they're very hard to value. And that, that's another challenge in all of this. The other thing to note for share market investors is that so often, you know, when the share market has a bit of a tumble, it comes down 7%. Guess what? You go and look at the crypto space and they've fallen 50%. So it seems to be highly We high. just saw that. We did just see that uh, just now. The volatility in Bitcoin, uh, I think it's uh, fallen almost 50% from its high. So you sort of think, well, yeah. if, if I put- a Trillion crypto- dollars being wiped from the market. That's right. So if I put my money, I, I sort of have got some shares over here. If I put some money in crypto, that maybe that'll sort of smooth out my share market portfolio. But then you find when you have a fall in the share market, the cryptos come down by even more and just lead to more volatility. So there's a bunch of issues there, I think, for investors to be skeptical. And if you can find some cryptos which just give good leverage to the development and the growth of blockchain and distributed ledger technology, then maybe you focus on them. But you probably want to have a well-diversified portfolio. But just just bear in mind, this is a highly speculative asset class, far from proven. What happens if governments do their own digital currencies? Then what then happens to the Bitcoins? There's a lot of issues around all of this. Now, of course, someone says, oh, well, you know, El Salvador adopted it. Surely everyone else is going to adopt it. Well, El Salvador doesn't really have its own currency. It's got half its population living somewhere else, mostly in the US. And guess what? It costs a lot of money to send money back from the US to the family in El Salvador. What better way to look cool? Put your uh, baseball cap on backwards, as the president of El Salvador does, and uh, say you're going to become a uh, you're, you're going to make um, Bitcoin legal tender. But he's really doing it just to look cool, and because it is a cheaper way to send that money back to El Salvador. But if you're in Australia, where you've got your own strong currency, or most other countries in the region or around the world, you're not going to be adopting Bitcoin as your uh, as your currency. So I don't think El Salvador tells us anything much. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's uh, interesting to hear your views on this, Shane, and. So switching from, you know, the very hotly debated topics, um, and I can think of another one, and that's climate change. There's been lots of countries around the world, and over the last year, everyone's been talking about the changing policies on climate change and the focus on net zero, uh, you know, which is to... Uh, countries' efforts to reduce carbon emissions and using more renewable energy. So how do you think 
just maybe just looking at the Australian economy, how do you think this will impact us? Like it's going to have a huge impact, but it's not going to be as negative as some people try to tell us. Australian economy has evolved over the years. Right now, we're seeing electricity prices come down a little bit in Australia, depending on where you are, but we've been seeing a bit of a fall. If you're over there in Europe and China and elsewhere, they've gone up. And why is that? Because there's been more um, uh, sustainable energy introduced into the mix in Australia, which is cheaper. It's more solar in there, more uh, wind power coming into the system in Australia, partly to deal with climate change, not so much from the government end, but businesses are doing this. So what's happened over time is that the cost of sustainable energy has been doing that. The cost of dirty energy has been doing that. We're now getting to a point where there is a crossover. And that, along with the the desire to move to net zero, is putting a bit of a question mark over coal. If we can develop technologies for coal, which capture the carbon emissions well and good, but it's unlikely that the cost of coal power is going to do that, which is what's happening with all the other sustainable sources of energy. Um, So I, I reckon we will adjust. I sort of think that the sooner we do it, the better. I reckon markets sometimes go wrong. You know, that's why we have economists talk about externalities. And you could argue that, you know, when I drive my car, I pay the cost of the petrol and all that sort of stuff, but I'm not paying the full cost of the damage I'm doing to the environment when I drive that car. And arguably I should be. So I, I was a bit of a supporter for some price on carbon emissions being imposed. But anyway, that wasn't to be. But I think the world is moving in that direction anyway. We are going to see more electric vehicles. We're going to be seeing more sustainable energy, more people becoming conscious of this. I used to go to the supermarket shelves and uh, I would see hardly any stuff, which is vegetarian meat. I mean, I don't know why you've got to be vegetarian, pretend to be eating meat, but uh, it's kind of nice for me because I sort of, you know, Paul McCartney had this thing, you know, that uh, Monday, make Monday meat free, I think. <laughs> and he, meat he free Mondays. Out, yeah. Meat free Mondays. Anyway, he helped promote it because he's vegetarian and has been for a while influenced by his former wife, and pointed out that uh, if you go meat-free on Monday, then it's equivalent of not driving your car for a month, a year, or something like that in terms of the saving for the environment. So anyway, now I go to the supermarket, there's heaps of meat-free alternatives in there, which gives you those options, Which and I think that's just the way the world's going to go. I've got nothing against farmers, but they're also producing the stuff that goes into the meat-free stuff. So I think the farm sector will benefit immensely from this. There'll be massive growth in those industries which are designed to combat climate change. And that's where the opportunity is on the share market. You know, you've got to be a little bit cautious about businesses which are producing a lot of pollution, which depend on coal and so on. But I reckon there will be a huge transition to alternatives. And we're already seeing that and that will benefit the share market. So it's really just something I think for investors to keep an eye on. And I think we're going beyond the point where you would do it because you just want to do the right thing for the environment. You're now getting to the point where you've probably got to do it because you want to do the right thing for your investment returns, or if you're an institutional investor, do the right thing for your clients. You've got to have a focus on the environment because this is the way the world's going. Whether you believe in climate change or not, it is an issue. Um, So I think it's probably one of the biggest challenges of our time to deal with climate change. I do recall 15, 16 years ago, uh, Rupert Murdoch actually saying, he doesn't know whether it's happening for sure, but it makes sense to take out some insurance. That always seemed to me the best response to this. We don't know for sure. You know, someone might come to me and say, well, the last couple of summers in Sydney have been pretty wet, haven't they? What happened to global warming? You know, we're all told the bushfires are going to be permanent. So, uh, well, that doesn't prove anything. You've got to look at the trend over time. The trend has been towards high temperatures. But cutting away from all of that, if there's some chance, even if it's a 40% chance that this is happening, it still makes sense to take some insurance about it. 
against it and try and move in an opposite direction to reduce our carbon emissions. So I'm quite happy that the world is going down this path. It's just that I would have preferred to see it happen 15 years ago, and then Australia would benefit more. But Australia has a lot of advantages in terms of these technologies in solar. We are still one of the world's leaders in that on that front. And in agriculture, I think that's another area where, where we can show the way uh, for the rest of the world. So I, I don't think it's something people should be negative about. I think some people something people should be positive about, but you've got to be aware of it when you're looking at portfolio that companies which are exposed in a negative sense to climate change may be adversely affected over time. Yeah, and I think certainly something for investors to keep in mind when they're shopping around for their portfolio. Uh, Now, speaking of shopping around, I think, Shane, you know, obviously we've just heard you talk about who's had the greatest influence on your work and you are also a very uh, important influence to many in Australia as one of our (laughs) highest profiled economists and very rightly so. I just wanted to know that, you know, if you had a spare $10,000 this year, how would you look to invest that money? I'm not a stock picker. I'll be I'll be honest here. I'm not a stock picker. I did attempt to do some of that and then realized, no, that's not my area of expertise. I, I have macroeconomic expertise or macro market expertise. And I think over the years, I've sort of put a lot of effort into working out how the market works. And I love long-term charts. I love the fact that the ASX data, if you go, go looking for it, you can get it back to 1870 something, 1871 or thereabouts. Um, I love that. I love this long-term, but I love seeing the swings. But yeah, don't get me to try and pick stocks. I would put it in like, most of my money outside super and in super is in shares, but I either go via managed funds increasingly. We're using ETFs, and that's a good low-cost way for an investor to get into the market. So I would, if I got an extra $10,000, I would allocate it to the share market. The Aussie share market is a little bit easier. You don't need to go from a managed fund, or you can get an ETF which tracks global funds, but I, I would do it in do it through the share market, um, and I would do an ETF on the broad market, and I reckon that would pay off over the period I would be interested in, which is the long term. No guarantees about the next uh, 12 months. But I would say if you are worried about the short term, one of the best, this, this might sound stupid, and financial planners say this all the time, the best way to do it is to average in. So you've got your $10,000, you're worried about the next six months, you just read that uh, someone said there's going to be a crash. I reckon there's always some saying someone saying there's going to be a crash. You just read that, so you're a little bit cautious, but the market's still down seven percent. So, well, I'll put in two thousand dollars today, and in another month's time, I'll put in another two thousand dollars, and then that way you're averaging in. If the market does keep going down, you're averaging it through that because you can bet your bottom dollar you're not going to predict the bottom, um, and if you just sit on it, by the time you get in, the market will probably be well above where it is now. Well, there you have it. That's Shane's uh, shopping list if he had the $10,000 to spend this year. Um, now, looking forward, and I know many people and, you know, you're often quoted in the media as well to, to give a forecast on things to watch and, you know, what people should be aware of. Um, and would you like to share with us a couple of things that's on your watch list this year? Well, obviously, uh, coronavirus is. I, I wish it wasn't. I mean, it's becoming a drag, this coronavirus thing, but I don't know, nine o'clock every morning, I'm seeing what the numbers are in New South Wales and Victoria and the other ones come out through the day. At least they're coming down. As we those all numbers, are. Yeah, those <laughs> numbers day. coming down, which I think is really good news. They're coming down and hospitalizations and deaths are starting to come down as well. And hospitalizations and deaths are well down relative to the number of new cases compared to previous waves. So the odds of ending up in hospital is a lot less than it was in previous waves. But anyway, keeping an eye on coronavirus, biggest risk there is probably a new mutant strain comes out of an emerging country. And I would love it if the rich countries said, we're going to help 
all the, all the world get vaccinated. That would really make me happy if they did that. So coronavirus, uh, inflation, obviously have to keep an eye on that. Just point out on inflation, you know, it's gone up. It's at highest levels in 40 years in the US. It's on the way up in Australia to a lesser degree, far less than the US. But just bear in mind, there's a lot of the impact of the pandemic here. You know, people took their money away from going on overseas holidays, bought lots of goods, houses, cars, blah, 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 at a time when many of them couldn't go to work or production was de- delayed. And so naturally, prices went up. Once we get through the pandemic, some of those price pressures will become more subdued. But obviously, it's gone on for longer than expected. And then that brings me to the third thing to keep an eye on, which is interest rates. I reckon we're going to see uh, rate hikes in the US probably... Uh, by the time you, when you listen to this, it might have already happened because the Fed meets this week. There is some chance they could raise rates next this week. More likely, though, in March that they will start to move. Um, in Australia, I think we probably won't see rate hikes till around August. I was thinking November, but I put that forward to August. But but just bear in mind that we're probably going to go from 0.1% to 0.25% for the first move. So yeah, it's still going to be pretty low. It's not going to have a huge impact on things. And by the end of the year, we may have gone to 0.5% on the official cash rate. Still pretty low. So you think it'll be a gradual increase? I think it will be gradual. A lot of people say, well, if inflation's going up, surely interest rates are going back to where they were when we last had inflation at 4% or whatever the number is. It's not going to work that way because the level of household debt today is a lot higher. So you don't need to raise interest rates as much as you did in the past to control an inflation problem. That The bang for the buck the potency of interest rate hikes is a lot more, is a lot greater today than it used to be because of higher debt levels. Um, so, you know, we're not going to see rates going back to to uh, 9%. We're not going to see 9% mortgage rates like we did prior to the GFC. I don't think we're going to get much, may struggle to even get 5% mortgage rates, but anyway. Um, yeah, that'll so, be the day. Go, <laughs> yeah, they will go up a bit, but just bear in mind, a lot of people have more debt these days. They got too much. It'll cause a massive problem. The RBA knows that they're not going to cause a crash in the economy because they raise interest rates too much. That's the last thing they want to do. So there's those things. Um, I keep an eye on Russia and geopolitical tensions. You know the Russia-Ukraine issue. I can't see Europe going to war with Russia over this, but you know they might. If they do invade, they will impose restrictions on Russia. Um, and that could mean that the gas shortages in Europe will become more intense. So that could be a bit of a negative economic impact beyond just the invasion of the Ukraine, which I think would be a horrible thing. But you also got to think about it in terms of the impact on markets. Headline, invasion of Ukraine, negative. But the real impact would come economically if uh, gas prices in Europe have to go higher because Russia says we aren't going to supply you gas anymore because you're putting sanctions on us. Um, so that could cause a bit of volatility. You've also got issues around China. Uh, you know, obviously, everyone worries about China deciding to take Taiwan and get, take, take Taiwan back into the PRC. That's something to keep an eye on. I, I don't think they will, but they keep talking about it. So that's obviously a risk. And in Australia, and a few other places, we've got elections this year in France in May. I think Macron will get back, sneak back. Um, in the US later this year in November, the midterms, they're probably going to see the Democrats lose control of maybe the House, but probably also the Senate. Um, and so we're back to divided government in the US, which historically, in terms of share market performance, is not necessarily a bad thing because divided government keeps tabs on the president doing too many extreme things, much like the Senate in Australia stops the, the prime minister doing extreme things. And then finally, we've got an election in Australia either in March, more likely May. Um, just bear in mind that the differences between both sides of politics is no, are nowhere near as extreme as they were back in 2019, when Labor was a bit more to the left and proposing 
significant tax hikes on various things or reduction in tax concessions, such as negative gearing, capital gains tax. I think there was a, they wanted a deficit levy on higher income earners and so on and so forth. Changes to franking credits, those things aren't on the table this time around, or at least not so far. So therefore, a change of government in Australia, if it does occur at the next election, wouldn't have as much economic impact as, say, it would have at the 2019 election. So they're the things to keep an eye on. Coronavirus, inflation, interest rates, geopolitical tensions and elections. Thank you, Shane. That's uh, just a few things to watch on, on top of everything else. I just wanted to know that, you know, certainly we haven't really spoken about this just yet. The two of us, um, as we're recording remotely here, you know, we've been in lockdown several times over the last two years. So we haven't really been able to travel anywhere or do anything that, you know, previously we would enjoy doing. And I know that I read in um, maybe one of the things that you've been quoted in is about household savings levels that, you know, we've hit at least 200 billion last year, yeah, just 25 yeah. billion alone in July. So I just wanted to know, Shane, what are you excited about this year? Just, you know, something light to end on, something positive, a bit more energetic to learn on. Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not all doom and gloom. There is that saving around there that people were locked up, couldn't spend as much, and they, they're sitting on a pool of savings that they wouldn't have otherwise had. I think the number is about $250 billion in Australia. In the US, it's uh, just over $2 trillion. So you don't want to get too gloomy given that that pool of excess savings, which is around. What am I optimistic about? I'm optimistic about going on a holiday uh, with a bit more freedom. I, I mean, I, I did manage to squeeze in holidays last year, but they're all in New South Wales. I made it as far as Norfolk Island on a plane, which is a really nice place to go. Certainly worth looking at. Um, I'm looking forward to eventually going more broadly around Australia and uh, and globally. So I haven't been able to do that now for two years. Well, I do hope that uh, after running through a couple of these things that Shane has just talked to, that we've got an idea of what to look out for this year. And I think it's important to remember that it's not all doom and gloom, as Shane said. And, you know, Shane, you're often deemed as the, the optimist in a lot, of, uh, a lot of economic issues. And I think it's important to put things in perspective. And that's what I've gathered from a conversation is that you can run through the list of worries, you know, year on year. And as you say, it's all about being focused and have a long-term investment horizon. It's been my pleasure to uh, have this conversation. Uh, I, I think it's, a, a, as you get older, I mean, when you're young, you, you feel gung-ho, you can make lots of money out of crypto or get the right stocks all the time. Um, and then as you get older, you realize that's oh, a little bit harder than you thought. So I, I, that's how I arrived at this philosophy, you know, trying to put things in perspective, focus on the long term, don't get blown off by the cycle, turn down the noise. And you know, the more I sort of think about those things, the more I think it's right. You know, we all feel nervous when we go through periods like right now when share markets are under pressure, uh, and then suddenly the front page stories about billions wiped off the market. They never tell you when billions are put back on because they come on more slowly. You, you go down through the elevator and you go up the stairs. But uh, the media, the entertainment industry and the media never tell you these things. They always want to say, oh, billions wiped off, you know, worst day, worst week since whenever, as if it's a new thing. Um, so that's why I think it's really important to try and put things in context. People don't want to do that. They just want to do the clickbait stuff and make a lot of noise. And, you know, you want to get clicks these days. You want to get uh, sell your newspaper. You know, you, you have bad news. And that always gets clicks far more than uh, trying to put things in perspective or good news. But I think people just need, investors really need to be aware of that, that the way media arranges things, whether it's social media or regular media, is designed to get you to make the clicks. Um, and they will exaggerate the bad news over the good news. And the same applies to financial information. 
but it's it's just become worse. Bad news sells is an old saying, but it's become a lot worse with social media and social media is making us a, a lot short term. Like for example, I used to wait for the financial review to come out tomorrow. Now there's going to be an update of the financial review in here um, in my email thing. And then I'll be tempted to go and look at that and that'll distract me for the next little while. And I think, well, gee whiz, blah, 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 blah. Whereas the reality is, you know, I, I was probably better off just waiting for the morning edition and <laughs> and going through it in one go. And I, I would say the same for any other newspaper, but or if you if you have a boring moment, rather than read a book now, those you swipe left. I'm not on Tinder. You swipe to the right or the left, and you read the, the top <laughs> good stories. To, just good to clarify. <laughs> good to clarify. I got to clarify that you read the top stories, but the top stories are always bad news. <laughs> so, and then you get distracted by that. So you, you got to you got to find a way to turn all this stuff down. Otherwise, we're all going to become stupid. There's something to be said about turning down the noise. You know, amidst all the sensationalized headlines, I think um, you've just reminded us again, it's important to stay focused. Thank you very much for having this conversation with me. I really enjoyed learning from you. It's always a pleasure to hear from you. Um, I think it's important for people to try to make sense of these headlines and not feel too overly worried, um, you know, at the start of the year and try to set your own goals and, um, you know, look at things that might suit your objectives. So we've come to the end of the episode. So thank you very much for listening. And Shane, thank you once again. It's been my pleasure. And thanks for having me on the program, Helen. There you have it. I really enjoy talking to Shane and seeing his views on recent events, how he'd invest $10,000 and how to stay optimistic despite the war of worries that we've seen at the start of the year. He reminds us that it's important to stay focused and have a well-diversified portfolio. Want to test market strategies? Sign up to participate in the ASX share market game and receive $50,000 in virtual cash to invest in a range of stocks and ETFs. Visit asx.com.au slash smg to register today.